This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. This is Juliana Spar reading Will There Be Singing? By the end of the year, I was used to things I hadn't seen before like a series of street brawls between Fa and anti-Fa that often absurdly tumbled into the Berkeley all-organic full of strollers farmer's market. Used to hearing about friends' emails caught up in various FOIAs. Used to the social media posts about how someone somewhere was getting a gun and planned to show up where we worked. I should add that the DMs and the ats were rarely realized. The gun never arrived, and if the threat was made good on it, it was just that moment when someone called up my boss and she hung up on them, confused. If there was anything new about this moment, it was that there was no making sense of what was left and right in the way I had previously understood it, which was as a, as a convention. The DMs came in from all different directions one day, an anonymous white nationalist. The next, a well-known comrade angry in love and wanting to take it out on someone proximate. And then perhaps a blog post from someone who had been perfectly nice when last seen at a poetry reading, but now was very upset about something I had implied. It was hard to decipher who was hating what on what day. By the time the state was burning from both ends and one end was called paradise, we didn't bother with the metaphor. Instead, we just looked out the window, noticed the smoke, shut the window, stayed indoors, and kept on typing. Later, we joked. Now we know what we will be doing when the world burns. We will be shutting the windows and catching up on email, finally. I'm concerned about these other things, or that is what I thought when they said they were worried I was losing my relationship to poetry. It was still summer, still mid-afternoon, there was a nice breeze. We had half a day of this beauty before us and we knew it, unhurried, pleasure, we drank a beer that was fresh on the tongue in a new way, light, almost carbonated. They said they were concerned about me and my relationship to poetry. In the afternoon sun, as the breeze blew softly, I first protested to them not about poetry, but about poets. Their nationalism, their acquiescence, and also their Facebook and Twitter accounts. Their brags and their minor attacks, their politics, their prizes and their publications, their Democratic Party affiliations. So I said to them, I'm not concerned about my relationship to poetry, which regularly felt to me like that moment when you open your app and there are a bunch of mentions and you haven't posted anything for a while. And all you can do is say today is so FML and start to work through them. This is not the same as the oh no way of the Berkeley farmers market brawl, not the state burning and burning again but still how to write an epiphanic possibility and the sociality. I had written for so long about being together, about how we were together, like it or not. I had used a metaphor of breath and of space. I had embraced the epiphanic, not just at the end of the poem, as was the lyric convention, but sometimes I made the whole poem epiphanic and that I couldn't do, and that I couldn't do anymore. Lately, there just wasn't any singing that I could hear, just attempts dark times. Nothing about this terrible moment was new, though. It has always been a terrible moment, and there have always been poets, too, and always poets writing the terrible nation into existence. 
This is one reason I will never get a tramp stamp that says poetry is my boyfriend. I thought for a while there were two sorts of poets, poets who write the terrible nation into existence and poets screwing around doing something else. For years, I was on team poets screwing around doing something else. For years, I had used poetry to slip away, elude the hold of the family, the couple form, the policing of tradition to pry open time into an endless stretch of possibility. In that room where we try to pry open possibility. When I first heard the avant-garde, I heard it as an opening, a door, a window, maybe a garage door. A hole in the wall I could shimmy through. I heard it as an opening, all sorts of openings. I could make the hole. Or my pink crowbar could. I would be writing and I would fall into the singing, that whoosh, that singing whoosh. And because at first I saw myself as someone who wanted an opening in the tradition, I split this whoosh up all the time. I fragmented it into words or took away its diptychs. Another friend, a poet who no longer talks to me, once gave me the image of the pink crowbar as a way of thinking about writing. Losing her was a loss all around, but to compensate for that loss, I think often about pulling something open. Although I'm fairly convinced she would grab the pink crowbar out of my hand if she saw me wielding it. For years, there was that perfect moment after the reading where we had to leave the bar because the couples were coming to buy their cocktails and we couldn't figure out where to go. Maybe it was Friday or Saturday night and all the bars were full of poetry, people who were not talking about poetry. So we kept walking, looking at each bar and each one wrong. Eventually the streets opened up and we were at the bridge and there was a river and we walked across the open space to it and climbed down its side and sat there. We had bought some beers and a small glass flask of whiskey from a bodega. We carried the cans and the flask and brown bags as a convention. But we did not need this convention. If there was law, the law drove by, didn't stop. Other things were night, maybe moon, water, rats. Sometimes drugs were involved. We walked through Wall Street at 3 a.m. and we rattled the locked buildings of all the buildings, laughing at their absurdity because we knew where it was at and at was rattling the doors. During these days, I would wake up and my head would hurt and then I would realize that in my dream I had said to myself that I should write some poetry but my dreams never explained to me why or how how to sing in these dark times it is true that I have been writing poetry for a long time since I was a teenager those loves of many years and our bodies changing together and yet the deepening also with this love despite that day with the breeze in the bar and we said together there needs to be some pleasure in the world and next, poetry is the what is left of life. And we pledge more singing and we reference by saying, in the dark times, will there also be singing? Yes, there will also be singing about the dark times. At night, I thought if I just read all of Brecht, I would maybe find the singing. So I began to read Brecht that night in bed with my son while he too read before he went to sleep. There was a new addition. It was hard to hold because it was so big. I rested it on a pillow and I rested my head on a pillow and I turned the pages looking for the singing. I couldn't find the singing. After I started reading Brecht, I began sorting through my books. I had too many as I pulled them off the shelves, blew off the dust. I asked myself, would I need it if there was a revolution? 
It turned out that I thought I would for sure need five translations of the Odyssey and all the books of Susan Howe. I kept all the plant books too, the comfort of the Jespin Manual of Vascular Plants of California. It's an open question if the revolution will still need poetry, its tradition, and its resistance to that tradition, but it will for sure need the vascular plants of California. It's always been a terrible moment, but now I understand it is even more terrible. The nation is for sure not my boyfriend, but the land it claims, though I don't claim it. I hold my love for this land in my underside and a small pocket that eventually bursts to release my love spores. I mean, it's not a casual love. It is, though, a difficult one, threatened, invaded. A friend is dying as a scotch broom is putting out its nitrogen-fixing roots, but our friendship died years before. The seed pods open explosively, another friend has cancer and lasts for 80 years, and yet another friend now in the world in some new way. But they are hard and survive rough transport through water. And mainly it was all the information, fleshy and full of proteins in a way that interests ants. We suddenly knew about everything as the ants carry the seeds back to their nests, creating dense infestations. A mixture of hell, a metaphor of resistance. The Scotch broom has so many tricks, grows in patches and has scattered individuals with a total cover of about 15% and 35% respectively, as does the tree of heaven. There is no space too polluted for it. It absorbs sulfur dioxide in its leaves. It can withstand cement, dust, and fumes from coal tar operations, as well as resist ozone exposure relatively well. Even mercury. It grows fast and even faster in California, and yet once it starts, it shows up everywhere, impossible to destroy. Loves the fires. Everything, never ending. Everything yet to come. And yet the world and the leaves continue to exist. Yellow veins, flowers, large compound leaves arranged alternately on the stem. 11 to 33 leaflets, occasionally up to 41. One to three teeth on each side, close to the base, everything small. Yellow, green to reddish flowers, everything. Panicles up to 30 centimeters long, everything. About this poem. I was trying to figure out what I valued about poetry. I've had trouble the last few years remembering that I liked poetry because I had been for so long confusing the sociality around poetry for the poem. And I spent the last few years also writing a lot about poetry and its role in soft diplomacy, and the genre seemed more and more suspect to me. So I decided to write an Ars Poetica, a meditation on poetry, to see if I still liked poetry or not. 